Welcome to this Skyride Local podcast, made in conjunction with the London Festival of Architecture. Skyride is part of Sky and British Cycling's ambition to encourage one million more people to cycle regularly by 2013. Skyride Local events take place across the country and cater for cyclists of all ages and abilities. They are free to join in and led by British Cycling trained ride leaders who will guide you along the route and provide tips and advice on cycle safety and skills. If you enjoy this podcast, which takes you on a virtual bike ride around some of London's most inspiring architectural features and landscapes, there are five more podcasts in the series and a lot more Skyrides coming up throughout the summer. Visit www.goskyride.com for more details. Biodiversity in the City with Sarah Price of Sarah Price Landscapes. This tour celebrates how gardens and parks have kept biodiversity alive in cities, providing rich experiences for wildlife and people. Not only can naturalistic city planting be environmentally sound, but if thoughtfully designed, it can be dramatically beautiful. The ride looks at the smallest gardens, roadside verges, to the largest parks. The ride begins at the View Tube, overlooking the 2012 Olympic Park development, and continues through Mile End Park through Wapping, over Tower Bridge and along the South Bank, crossing Waterloo Bridge and finishing at the Phoenix Gardens in the West End. This tour today is really about looking at all the different fragments of green spaces in London, just getting a kind of trying to tune in to our surroundings and all the wild flowers, the planting schemes that are popping up all over the capital. And the reason why I wanted to start here today is because I want to look at the kind of large scale. I want to look at large scale planning. I want us to see um, sort of ambitious projects like the Olympic site. But I also want us to look at really small scale environments, small, more modest scale garden projects that we can all sort of engage in. And really a large part of my job is about looking, about observing the environment. So that's what I really want us to do today. Another reason why I decided to start off here is because my biggest project to date has been working as a planting consultant on the 2012 gardens on the site over here. So I've been really fortunate to be working with the lead landscape architects who are LDA Design and Hargreaves Associates. I don't know if you've heard of them at all. No. Hargreaves designed the Sydney Olympics and um, they brought myself on board to kind of do more of the detailed planting schemes in two areas of the Olympic site. Just to give you an idea, the behind this blue perimeter fence, which actually, for some reason, seems to have melded behind trees from this vantage point, the, the site planning for the Olympics has been really based around this kind of park, river, river park. The River Lee that runs through, you can see the beginning here, when we inherited the master plan and before construction, it was an incredibly narrow corridor. And then looking at the site, it was decided that we should pull back river banks of soil back and open the permeability, open the sight lines up to the river. So essentially what's being created is a river park. The park is kind of has two distinct characters. The north end of the park over there is going to be 
an incredibly diverse landscape of different habitats. There's going to be, um, with the spoil pulled back from the riverbanks, there's going to be huge viewing mounds for the spectators. And there's going to be woodland wrapped around these viewing points. There's going to be meadows, habitat-rich lawns. There's going to be wetlands, frog ponds. It's really, really all about sort of biodiversity, about wildlife. The south of the park here, as you can see, it's really urban in character. And so as a resp response, we decided to make it kind of more about the fest festivals. It's going to be like a, fe a festival point. So the main stadium here is going to be surrounded by a concourse with like big viewing screens, activities. And center, central to this is going to be the 2012 gardens, which are the, gar the schemes that I, I've been involved in planting and designing. And so you can see the river here that wraps around. And you can see the, does everyone know the aquatic center over here? kind of strange, it's kind of supposedly designed to look like a whale's tongue I don't know, <laughs> by Sarah Haddad and that's um, the river sort of runs, runs around the Olympic Stadium and kind of in front of that and then wrapping around this Olympic Stadium here is going to be 800 metres of new herbaceous planting so that's, just to give you context, that's for like from La London Bridge to Tower Bridge, so it's an enormous amount of new planting that's going to take place that's going to really be the centre point for the Olympic Games because most of the spectators will be coming across from Stratford, so maybe 250,000 people on a daily basis, and you're going to be kind of walking across and looking at this kind of long linear park of, of gardens. The theme of the gardens, the narrative structure of the gardens, has really been about um, how gardens in cities have kept biodiversity alive in cities. So there's kind of recent research which has which shows that cities are actually far more biodiverse and rich in wildlife than, than the countryside. And so that in itself is quite an exciting concept and we're mixing exotic plants and native plants together in the, within these gardens while the rest of the part, the north, is going to be very native, predominantly native in, in character. If you can imagine, I don't know, did anyone know the site before it was developed? Yeah, did all the pylons. Yeah. It was just a swarm, it was just covered in pylons everywhere. And they spent months digging them down into one point, sinking all the pylons. And, and I think as soon as they took them, the pylons down, it's really transformed, hasn't it, the, the feel. I mean, it really was a toxic, toxic brown site. I think it's really good that you've seen it at this point, because you can see just over to the left, right of the stadium, there's a few trees there. And those have really um, only just been put in. And come November, this, this whole park is going to just be planted up full of trees. And um, we've got lots of meadow seeding patches going on and trials. And then that's all going to be covered. I mean, can you imagine there's going to be 30 or 40 hectares of meadow, wildflower meadows in, in this park. Um, and we're going to go then now go and cycle a little bit down the greenway and down through Marlen Park, where there's already a number of meadows and hopefully just try and imagine try and imagine that transferred over here I mean it's going to be quite spectacular
Hotel Hamlets Council, I think their mission for this Marlen Park was to bring the countryside to the East End or to Marlend. So they've been actually, I'm quite impressed by the number of meadows they've got running through this strip. And it's quite lovely sort of coming from Stratford and then cycling down and imagining how there's going to be a green corridor that links this kind of strip of narrow part, linear park of meadow up to the Olympic Park. I don't know, the meadows are, are looking a little bit dry at the moment, but um, what's really important for my job as a planting designer is to just continually look at how plants are grouped together. I don't know, the, t the title of this talk, Biodiversity, might be a bit misleading because it's more, more than that. It's more about kind of creating places which are really pleasing and satisfying for people as well as wildlife. There's a kind of a hard balance to strike because often when you do... You know, if you see a vacant lot and there's lots of buddleier and brambles, that's fantastic. It's really rich for wildlife, but it also sort of has negative implications and people sort of get a sense of anxiety. And you have to sort of address this as a designer. I think this is a kind of a quite a simple but good sort of example of where they've got a great wild sort of pond and obviously a rich habitat, but they've also got sort of paths and like this decking structure that make us feel safe to sort of view it. It sounds funny, but some people really do feel a sense of kind of claustrophobia when they're surrounded by overwhelming nature. Biodiversity, I think, and beauty are really linked. And of course, beauty is so subjective, but really for biodiversity, for all the creatures, you've got to almost design on a micro and a macro scale and think about the very kind of bottom of the vegetation structures and look at, kind of almost create as many different shapes and heights and forms of vegetation there's, that you can for the insects and invertebrae and birds to, um, to, to hide and live in. So, and I think this is quite wonderful because you can really see all the layers of planting, all the sequences of plants and all the different sort of landing spots, hiding places. Even, you know, just coppicing these willows at a lower level, salix, it really helps. But also, you know, in parks, there's a sense of enclosure here with, with the taller plants, with these wonderful reeds and grasses, but there's also like open sight lines through the, through the park, which um, means that we can, we, can, we can feel safe and we can use it. Quite a famous green bridge, isn't it? Quite famous. Yeah. <laughs> Not very green at the moment. I think they had a number of problems um, on its conception, but I'm, I'm constantly amazed by how few sort of dry, stony meadow habitats or, or rooftops there are in London. In Germany, it's um, legislation to create green roofs. Over here, it just, just isn't in place. And um, green roofs, of course, everyone knows, have so many environmental benefits, um, stopping rain runoff as well as the biodiversity of all the plants they create. But could you imagine how beautiful this would be in a kind of a meadow if this was covered in colour and flowers and you're looking over towards Canary Wharf over there? But instead, um, it's, it's grass, which is essentially a monoculture and um, not that great for the environment. And it doesn't look that great. And I think um, parks are really changing their view on grass 
like Victoria Park we rode through, that's going to be full of meadowland come 2012. Meadow plants really like to be treated meanly. They like really poor, poor soil, so there's yeah. le less competition from thuggish grasses, basically. So um, this is uh, looking really, really sad, but nice idea. While we've um, been developing the Olympic Park, we've had loads and loads of conflict between uh, local kind of plant groups who are really, really kind of quite hardcore into their biodiversity and into their native species, which um, this is a native meadow, native perennial meadow over here. Native plant species are really, really important for, for wildlife, but at the same time, you have to remember that all the aliens, aliens in our gardens that have been introduced over the last sort of 500 years to Britain since the Renaissance. Um, I mean, we're absolutely crazy about the next new plant, the next new thing brought over um, from overseas, that these have actually really enriched our local flora. Because this meadow here, I don't know if anyone regularly sort of cycles down here. It's, yeah. it's amazing. I was really, I, I was stopped. It's just past its best now, I think. Yes. The last month has been fantastic. Especially in the low evening lights. Yeah. Just absolutely yeah. beautiful. In the morning as well. It is incredible, but um, in winter, it does it look quite... It doesn't, no, it doesn't have anywhere near the impact, but it kind of looks, and it, it's, there's an interesting light in this, in this bit here. I don't know why, but because it's kind of open, but it's very urban, isn't it? I think there's, there's been a lot of um, research done by Sheffield University into creating all these meadow mixes, and which uh, look good through the seasons, like... like um, just mentioned this is kind of past its best and it's going to be over in in maybe a month's time or so and then in winter it will look pretty much like brown sticks and I think there's a real dif difficulty as a designer to try and change the public's perception and I think I think the key thing is colour as soon as people see that there's colour in the landscape they can accept that through the winter it's going to look dull it's going to maybe look a bit untidy a bit messy what's so good about marland management is they cut back sort of maybe 80% of this meadow come November, October and they leave 20% of it up, standing up so, all, so there's more seed heads for birds and for the wildlife and what I really want us to start doing I don't know if you noticed there are loads of stretches of quite beautiful blue flax coming down and hedgerows is to really start looking at the composition of, of this type of planting because later on we're going to visit has anyone heard of Piet Aldoff? He's a d famous Dutch planting designer. We're going to go and look at his gardens um, by the mayor's office. He, like a whole wave of new planting designers, garden designers, landscape architects, have been really inspired by natural habitats, by kind of meadows like this. I myself um, always try and um, sort of compose my planting schemes with kind of natural habitats in mind. So a lot of the 2012 gardens um, have been inspired by plantings like this, but using normal garden plants in this sort of fashion however that has its drawbacks I don't know if any of you really garden or have planted up a large planting scheme and how many pots you have to throw away can you imagine with this this type of planting you turn up with all your seed in a pocket and then you sort of sprinkle it out and in terms of um, being environmentally friendly it's definitely the way to go trees competing with me also um I just think the effect of this type of planting compared to perennial 
and by perennial I mean planting that comes up year after year, herbaceous plants, is, is just phenomenal. I mean, if we could all sort of draw an imaginary square metre and actually start to try and count how many species there are per square metre, um, that, I think that would be a really good exercise for us to do. And I've also got some, um, some just some basic plant ID sheets. Yeah, if you want to, shall I take half? pass them around I think in a typical meter there's probably about I would guess 20 species I mean it's a bit like someone said to me it's a bit like the big brother household you kind of you know sow your seeds but you don't want um, then the, the, the different plant flora has to kind of fight it out to see which species is going to be the dominant what does anyone notice something unusual about this meadow like maybe a meadow, you'd, a natural meadow, you'd see more grasses in, perhaps. Yeah, thuggish, thuggish <laughs> thistles, grasses. But deliberately, when you get seed mixes, um, there's a really small percentage of, of grasses in them because simply they're too vigorous and they will take over from all these like delicate wild carrots, etc. So really, if you want to make a meadow, you have to have poor soil so that there's less nutrients for the grasses to get hold of and take over and you've also got to be really careful with the composition of your meadow mix and there's if anyone's interested I can tell you good places to go to get good meadow mixes this is probably a standard meadow mix that they um, use throughout sort of London parks once you start tuning in you'll see that a lot of London meadows look the same like there's a lot of this beautiful um, wild carrot does anyone know this and this um, type of mallow which is also on. And then you've got um, the composite family have a lot of oxide daisies and they're great for insects. So kind of like landing pads. But if you sort of get down on your hands and knees and sort of look, look at the layers of the meadow, it's great that you thought this looked like cow parsley because I think you'll see later in lots of the plantings how important it is in a kind of aesthetic way to have a lot of horizontals in your planting and then you have these echiums which come up and as kind of vertical accents. So a lot of planting designs, a bit like composing a painting, it's a bit like trying to get as many subtle contrasts within the composition as you can. So horizontals, uprights, button accents. I think people have meadows as a really strong kind of psyche, this kind of idealistic vision of meadows. And, and actually when you come along in the low light, this does look so beautiful and it can actually make people quite tearful. And I think it's kind of amazing how easy it is to reconnect with people, kind of images of their childhood being in meadows. You know, people are becoming far more accepting of naturalistic planting, as, as we like to call it. I just want to introduce these plantings, which are new two years ago by Pete Aldoff. Have you heard of the High Line in New York? Yeah. He's the planting designer for the High Line, which is a basically old railway tracks that they've planted up into this public planting scheme across New York. But this designer, in terms of looking at these gardens, these are probably the closest thing in London to the 2012 gardens that I've designed. And I don't know, does anyone think these are particularly wild or what, what, what immediate reaction do you have to these plantings? 
because a lot of people will, will look at this this planting scheme and think whoa it's really really wild um, and in some senses it has got a kind of naturalistic feel because the perennials he uses are quite close to the native species like this fluffy grass here that's Deschampsia cespitosa and that's tufted hair grass which is native to the UK so he's used those grasses and, and Pete Aldoff is um, kind of the lead champion of the new perennial movement of designers which has really started in Germany and Holland and which is kind of coming over to Britain and it started sort of in 1995 so it's been going for a while. He's really championed the use of um, ornamental grasses like this Deschampsia in planting schemes and in, in that in turn has kind of opened up our perception to sort of meadows and, and bringing meadows into the cities and greening up the cities and what's so wonderful about his planting is that he uses these grasses and they look fantastic until say winter or January or February depending on the species of grass and he also uses a lot of plants like this echinacea can you see one or two of them are coming into flower you probably recognize it from herbal medicine if not from gardening this is a North American prairie plant and he uses plants like this echinacea which will then have a wonderful distinctive black seed head and so he, he kind of has these swathes of echinacea which will then the petals will fall, fall off and you have these black seed heads which will then be backlit against this kind of frothy sea of grasses so as you walk around here you'll see all these different lines and repetitions and rhythms of composition see the salvia over there that's just coming up through this other grass, Cecilaria. And so the whole thing is, is tightly controlled and very, very considered. But just do come back through this space um, because it's going to only look better as autumn approaches. I mean, I think it's fantastic for, for a garden that's used so heavily by the public. It's a really, really good scheme. One man looks after the whole of this site, which wraps around these buildings, which is quite incredible, but he does do about 35. I think these gardens alone are about 35 hours a week, but that they don't have any irrigation, so he has to water them by hand, and he has to weed them by hand, but that's quite, quite incredible. But again, you need a skilled gardener to look after this kind of garden that knows when to cut the plants back, what seed heads to leave on the plants. But in terms of biodiversity, they're really fantastic because they bloom so late into the year and you've got the grasses late into the season and though the plants aren't native, a bee doesn't know the difference between a native and an exotic. So I know there's plans to develop this adjacent area in, with new, more buildings, so Tower Bridge is going to be blocked out, or this building here, but they're going to extend the gardens into that land. So with development comes more perennial planting, I suppose. Yes, please eat, you must be starving, but we made it here and <laughs> it's been quite a journey. And, and has, does anyone recognise, has anyone walked past here before? You know, this is, um, this is Chris, who's the head gardener and kind of responsible for, for, for this beautiful garden. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some words and Chris is probably going to 
interrupt me when I get the facts wrong. Basically, this was um, the site of a Second World War bomb site, and then I think later it was a car park. It's a car park, yeah, it's a car park up until 84. What's so wonderful about this garden is it proclaims to be a garden, and it proclaims, is that right? It yeah, kind of proclaims yeah. to be a garden, which is also wonderful for us and, and for wildlife. Thanks to Chris, you see some really, really sophisticated planting. I mean, this is, um, we've looked at, compared to all the other sites we've looked at, like Pete Aldoff's plantings, quite rightly, you notice that it was in strips. And that's partly because of maintenance. You can come over down and cut the gra grass down and work your way backwards in a strip. But here, Chris is really, you know, all the native meadow, meadows that we've been looking at and the kind of roadside plantings along the roadside. I don't know if you can see how it potentially has inspired Chris yeah. in the way that he's put the plants together in the kind of use of grasses and then you have these emergent stems these emergent daisies and teasels and the baskins coming up and it's I think it's really about tuning into your environment and so it's kind of all about plant soci sociability so what plants will coexist happily together and what will you know you have to plant you have to match plants together in terms of vigor as you walk around, kind of look at all the seed head, look at all the different, the tender exotics, because there's these, have, does, anyone, does anyone know these ecums over here from the Canary Islands, aren't they? Yes, yeah. And also there's banana plants, which survived during last winter. I just think it's a really good example. It pulls together everything we've seen to, today. I mean, but it's on such an intricate scale. You can kind of really see that someone's invested their artistic eye and time and knowledge into developing it. And you need, some, you need really skilled gardeners to, to create a garden like yeah. this but you can also see the value of mixing native weeds with with exotics and sorry Chris I'm just going to say thank you to everyone and um, it's been great and I hope you've taken away something from it we hope you enjoyed this podcast from the London Festival of Architecture Sky Rides for more information about lead group rides in your area please visit www.goskyride.com